follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Azi, Genentech, and Amgen. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, many folks don't know that lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer deaths in the U.S., due in part to the fact that so few cases are diagnosed at an early stage when cancer is the most curable. Uh, today, we're hoping to shed light on a type of cancer that, that carries a stigma, unfortunately, even though we know that 80% of people diagnosed with uh, lung cancer are, are former smokers or, or never smoked. Uh, here with us on the show today to discuss this important topic uh, is Amy Copeland, the Associate Director of Medical Outreach at Lung Cancer Alliance. Uh, she joined their team in 2007 uh, and is working to expand LCA's national network of medical institutions serving lung cancer patients, uh, those at risk, uh, and their loved ones through collaborative relationships with healthcare professionals. Thanks for being here, Amy. Thanks so much, Kim. We also have with us Jenny White, who was diagnosed with lung cancer in October 2010 at the age of 49, a never smoker with no major risk factors for the disease. Jenny underwent surgery to have the stage 1A tumor removed and, thank goodness, has since been cancer-free. Now Jenny is working with the Lung Cancer Alliance as the director of LCA's Tennessee chapter to help raise awareness uh, and funding. Jenny continues to advocate through her role as chairman of both the first-ever State Lung Cancer Committee for Tennessee and the Lung Cancer Committee for Middle, Middle Tennessee through the Tennessee Cancer Coalition and the Tennessee Comprehensive Cancer Control Plan. So glad you're here, Jenny. Thank you so much, Kim. So I'm going to jump right in here. I'm going to start with you, uh, Amy. We've got a lot of background to cover and really want to bring folks up to speed uh, on where we are uh, uh, with the diagnosis and, and treatment of lung cancer. Um, we know that uh, regular cancer screenings can uh, save lives. We're always hearing folks reminding us to get our colonoscopies, to get our mammograms. Uh, Amy, why is uh, early detection for lung cancer particularly important? So 
early detection for lung cancer is particularly important because lung cancer often doesn't have symptoms until it's more advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and the earlier lung cancer is caught, the easier it is to treat. For example, someone whose cancer is caught early might go through surgery to remove the cancer, and then that's it. Um, in, in Jenny's case, that was, um, that was primarily what she went through. If it's caught late and has spread to other parts of the body or even from one lung to the other, surgery may not be an option at that point, and it becomes a little bit more challenging to treat. So this isn't so different from, from other screening tests like colonoscopies to detect colon cancer early and mammograms to detect breast cancer early. Yeah, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about where we are, uh, Amy, with screening for for lung cancer. But let's start, uh, you know, let's start to, uh, and break it down a little bit. Who who is at risk uh, for lung cancer? How might someone find out if they're at risk? I have to tell you, we hear this question all the time. You know, folks say, "Oh, I smoked in college. I smoked in high school. I smoked when I was younger. I quit 20 years ago." I mean, you know, how do folks know? You know, what are the parameters or guidelines for whether someone is at, at, at risk? Help us understand that, Amy. Sure, um, and and you know, and it's it's always challenging because there's still a lot that we don't know about risk. You mentioned that oftentimes we see um, lung cancer associated with people who have never smoked or don't have any other recognizable risk factors. So there's a long way that we have to go in really understanding the full range of risks. But what we do know now is that there are things that put people at risk, higher risk for developing lung cancer. The most well known, of course, and most important risk factor is having a history of smoking. Other risks include exposure to radon and a variety of occupational exposures, such as asbestos, diesel fumes, coal smoke, um, and many others. Family history can be a risk factor. So if you have a parent or a sibling who was diagnosed with lung cancer, that may put you at higher risk than others. Other lung diseases, like COPD, can also put you at higher risk. of course, you know, we hear a lot about secondhand smoke exposure, and that is also a risk factor. Unfortunately, it's a little more difficult to measure how that exposure may change your risk. Mm-hmm. One easy way to find out if you are at risk is to go to our Risk Navigator website at www.atriskforlungcancer.org, and there you'll be guided through the risk factors um, that, are, that we know of, and the tool will actually tell you if you might be at high risk or moderate risk or low risk and then what you should do about it. Excellent. I think that's great advice, uh, Amy, and I know we're going to drill down on uh, kind of where we are on screening and, 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 and advances there. But uh, let me bring Jenny into the conversation. Jenny, can you tell us uh, a little bit about your own cancer experience? When and how did you find out you had uh, lung cancer? What was your uh, course of treatment? And, and where do things stand today? Oh, sure, Kim. Thank you. You know, my, uh, my cancer journey started actually in December of 2009 when I went to clean one of the bathrooms in our house. Um, and you kind of have to know where we live. We have a lovely 50s ranch-style house with fabulous bathrooms with lots of tile and lots of little grout lines. So it, it wasn't my favorite job to do. <laughs> and, in this, <laughs> and in this particular case, some of some molded kind of gravitated from not just around the grout lines, but it was a little bit on the, the ceiling above the shower. So I would normally pour a little bit of bleach in a cup and use an old toothbrush and scrub those grout lines and then spray some scrubbing bubbles over the top of that. And, um, you know, came out all sparkling clean. So this time I thought, well, you know, I can't really use the toothbrush up there. So I filled a spray bottle full of bleach and started spraying it. 
And, you know, that stuff stings when it falls on you. So I thought, well, i I got to do something while that dries. And I thought, well, i just get the scrubbing bubbles out. Now, for those of you who don't know what the main ingredient of scrubbing bubbles is, it's, it's ammonia. Mm. And fortunately, I missed that class in chemistry because when I sprayed um, the first time, you know, I coughed a little bit, but that didn't seem to be that big of a deal, and I was smart enough to raise the bathroom window. So I sprayed again because, you know, the bleach was still dripping, and I coughed a little bit more, so I pulled my T-shirt up over my mouth and sprayed a third time, and this time I coughed again and again and again. I had Mm. gassed myself. (laughs) <laughs> with bleach and ammonia, and I just had this horrible, horrible cough. And so I went to my family uh, physician, my internist, and he heard me coughing, and I explained what I had done. And he said, well, you know, I don't think you have chemically induced pneumonia, but yeah. let's get a chest X-ray just to make sure. Mm-hmm. So I had a chest X-ray, and he called me that night, which, you know, is never really a, a good thing when your doctor calls yes. you. Yeah. Day. And he said, well, you don't have pneumonia, but the radiologist noticed just a little something on your right upper lobe. Let's get a PET scan, which I did, and it was negative. So because I didn't have any risk factors for, now I realize we never really filled in the blank for what, what. Um, it was protocol to follow me over a course of two years with CT scans. You know, you can breathe in something, especially here in Tennessee, and it calcify and show on a chest X-ray. Mm. So, because I didn't have any uh, risk factors, you know, we did a baseline in December of 2009. First follow-up was 2000, uh, March of 2010, and then September, and it had grown by 30%. Wow. So, at the time, there was no technology to get a good sample size, so I had to have surgery. Fortunately, I found a surgeon here in town who did video-assisted thoracic surgery and took a uh, wedge-shaped... biopsy, sent it to pathology, and it came back as a stage 1 adenocarcinoma. Wow. Fortunate, fortunately for me, stage 1A, no lymph nodes involved, and so they were able to actually make me cancer-free by the removal of my upper lobe. Great. So, um, you know, that was, I remained cancer-free. Actually, this past Saturday was my three-year anniversary, and um, I get chest x-rays every six months. And so far, I continue to show no evidence of disease, and that's exciting. But I now have to say that cleaning a bathroom was the best thing that ever happened to me. So <laughs> it takes a good so with is the that bad. The advi- is that the advice you're giving us? Is that the yeah, takeaway yeah, here? Cleanliness <laughs> is almost close to godliness. <laughs> <laughs> or close to cure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, Amy, we've got um, uh, uh, two or three minutes until our, our, uh, our first break here, but um, uh, we know that this past summer the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force updated its screening recommendations for individuals who are at high risk of getting lung cancer. Can you tell us more about these new recommendations and really what our listeners need to know about that? Sure, absolutely. So the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, um, for those who don't know, um, the recommendations are kind of a big deal. The task yeah. force is an, is an independent panel of experts that weighs evidence and makes recommendations about preventive services, such as cancer screenings. Um, in the past, this task force felt there wasn't enough 
research to support a recommendation for lung cancer screening, but they reissued that recommendation in July um, with a draft recommendation of a B grade, which means that it is recommended and that doctors should provide this service for eligible patients. In this case, eligible patients would be those between the ages of 55 and 79 who have a smoking history of 30 pack years, and a pack year is a pack a day for 30 years or two packs a day for 15 years um, and so on. Um, and also that either they still smoke or they quit within the last 15 years. So okay. basically this recommendation is important not only because it means more people's doctors are going to be talking to them about screening, but it also means that insurance insurance tends to cover these recommended screenings. Mm-hmm. Right now there are only one or two plans that cover it, and mostly it's a service that's an out-of-pocket cost for people. So. And also, the recommendations of A or B um, for screenings will be included as essential health benefits in the health care exchanges under the Affordable Care Act. So, mm-hmm. And that's so Obamaca- it, Obamacare you're talking about. Yes. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of implications for the payment, but also for the recommendation on the part of, of primary care physicians to their patients. And just to, just to clarify, what is, what is the screening, Amy? Um, so the screening is a low dose chest, um, a low dose CT scan of the chest. And how does that, and how does that, uh, how does that compare uh, to, let's say, an X-ray? You know, what is that, what is that scan like? Sure. So, um, so a, t- a CT scan um, actually takes a lot of X-rays of, of an area of the body. Um, in this case, it's a spiral CT. So it actually takes three-dimensional images um, of, of, in this case, the, the chest area, the lung area. So um, it takes very small slice images, and so mm-hmm. the radiologist can actually see very, very tiny little tumors um, or spots or nodules that might show up on the lung. Um, as Jenny pointed out, sometimes, you know, those, those spots might be nothing at all, and you might mm-hmm. have breathed in something, or in some areas of the country there are fungal infections and things like that. But um, So it'll pick up a lot of different things. It's very sensitive, but, um, but it's really, at this point, the best way of detecting lung cancer at a very and it'll, early stage. And it'll pick up things that, are, that, that an x-ray would not, Amy, yes? Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, we're we're getting to our first break here, but we're talking about lung cancer. We're talking about the latest uh, screening and diagnostic tools. Who's at risk? What folks need to know um, about uh, some of the advances uh, that we're seeing. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. We have a lot to cover here, uh, so uh, don't go away. We have two great guests with us. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. 
For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today's show is uh, sponsored in part by Celgene Lilly Oncology and Onyx. As, we, uh, as we've just discussed with our guests from Lung Cancer Alliance, uh, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force has made some new recommendations regarding screening uh, for lung cancer. We'll talk a little bit more in this segment about how exactly to uh, uh, get screened, who's at risk, uh, really what folks, uh, what folks need to know about this important topic. And November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, so it's a great time for us to be really uh, highlighting uh, risks and screening in, uh, in lung cancer. Um, so, Amy, let's say you're, uh, you know, in that high-risk group for getting lung cancer, and maybe you can just, for folks who might just be joining us, remind us of what, you know, who's in that high-risk group for getting lung cancer. Um, where do you go to get screened? Who do you talk to if you're concerned? You know, where do you really start this journey? Sure, absolutely. Um, and lots of very important questions. So just to recap, um, those who are at risk and, and in the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force recommendation, we're looking at people who are 55 to 79 who have a smoking history of 30 pack years or more. So a pack a day for 30 years, two packs for for 15 years um, and either still smoke or quit within the last 15 years. There Mm -hmm. are other recommendations that kind of broaden that category, but for the sake of conversation, we'll kind of talk about, about that group. Mm -hmm. Um, Where, where would, where would somebody decide and want to go as far as getting screening? Um, This is a really important question because just because you can get screened at a place you saw advertised doesn't mean you should get screened there. Okay. All of the professional, Mm -hmm. all sorts of 
professional organizations have come up with screening guidelines and recommendations that have very specific things they want to see in a lung cancer screening program to make sure it's being done responsibly. I mean, the last thing we want is for people to get screened at a place that isn't following proper guidelines for screening because you can actually put a person more at risk for harm um, in in that sort of situation. I actually did a, a few Google searches this afternoon for lung cancer screening in various areas, and it's not hard to find a place advertising lung cancer screening um, Mm -hmm. in most areas of the country. So at Lung Cancer Alliance, what we've actually done is created a list of screening centers that follow specific practices in their screening program, which we feel indicates that they're doing good quality, responsible screening. And you can find this list at the end of the risk navigator um, that I mentioned earlier, which is on the website at riskforlungcancer.org. If you're considered high risk, then you can kind of look at what screening centers are in your state that we've kind of, you know, talked to and, and vetted for these criteria. But you can also find the information on our website at lungcanceralliance.org. And if there isn't a screening center listed in someone's area, they can also call our helpline at 1-800-298-2436, and we can help them find a place to be screened. Great. Great. So let's talk a little bit about where folks are, you know, folks, okay, so I maybe think think I'm at risk or I have the history that you've described or maybe I don't have the history that you've described but did smoke for a number of years. I'm concerned, uh, you know, about getting lung cancer. Um, do You know, let's say I'm having the conversation with my, you know, primary care doctor on this. I mean, can I just uh, go to one of these screening centers um, to get screened? Do I need a referral from my doctor? Is insurance going to cover? this? I mean, let's get down to, you know, let's get down to some basics, Amy, if I'm concerned um, in that risk category or, again, just maybe worried about some of my history. Um, you know, what's that going to look like for me? Sure, absolutely. And even even for people who don't fall neatly into that category, it's never yeah. a bad idea to talk to your primary care physician about your history and risk factors and things like that because, you might not necessarily be considered in this at-risk category today, but you might be in a year or two. It's just, it's always good to have that open communication with your primary care physician. Um, so as far as whether someone needs a referral from the doctor, it really depends on the screening center. Probably about 70% of the centers that we work with require a referral. And this helps them feel confident that someone will be following up with the patient after the scan is done. Um, as mm-hmm. you know, we talk about frequently, um, screening is not a one-time thing. Screening is a process. You know, there may be follow-up now. It may be that you come back a year from now for your follow-up exam, the way you would come back for a mammogram or other screening tests. Um, and having a primary care physician involved in the process can can help to make sure that you stay on track with that. There are other centers that don't require a referral per se, but they do want to make sure that you have a primary care doctor who they can report the results to for follow-up. And if you don't have one, they're often willing to help you find one uh, before you go through that process. As far as insurance goes, um, right now there there are one or two um, insurance carriers that, that are covering lung cancer screening. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the vast majority are not at this point, which is part of why the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force recommendation is so crucial in, in, the, government, in the coverage process. Um, but a lot, a lot of the, the centers that have set up screening programs are trying to, you know, to set prices that are, that are reasonable for somebody to pay out of pocket. And, and I would say you see a lot of centers that are doing it for $100, for, you know, for $200. Sometimes they'll have financial assistance available. 
available. Um, sometimes they'll do it for free. It, it really varies from center to center, but we're hopeful that with these changes in policy um, and more um, more insurance plans coming on board with, with reimbursement, that this is going to be uh, only a problem for, for a short time longer. So, Amy, it's, 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 so it's not necessarily likely that someone would just sort of walk in off the street to get screened uh, at, at, at one of these centers. They, they, they really want yep. a linkage with a primary care physician. Are the, they, would they want the results of the screening sent to a doctor who's going to sit down with you and review the results? Is that what we're talking about? Yes, and, and to, to your point of walking in off the street, most of the centers that, that we've communicated with actually will have a phone conversation with you first, and they'll walk you through the risk criteria that they've developed for their particular program to make sure that you are eligible for screening. Um, and then once you are, they would schedule you to come in. Now, in some centers, in most centers, they're going to send it back to a primary, the results back to a primary care physician. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some places, they will actually also talk to you and review the results with you and just make sure you understand what they found or what they didn't found and what that means for follow-up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I imagine, Amy, a lot of folks, you know, maybe through the course of their lives have had an x-ray of some sort. Maybe, you know, they had a cold or they had pneumonia or maybe they, you know, broke or sprained a wrist. Or So, so folks may know what, uh, you know, what that x-ray procedure is like. But tell us a little bit about what to expect when going into um, uh, a, a CT scan. Can you tell us what goes on? Um, are you being exposed to radiation? Are there any risks for it? Um, you know, what, what's the, what are the sort of nuts and bolts? of that. Sure, absolutely. So the, the procedure for lung cancer screening uses a scan called a low-dose spiral CT scan. Um, the low-dose part gets at your question about radiation. A low-dose CT scan for lung cancer screening, when done correctly, um, I should add, exposes you to about the same amount of radiation as a mammogram. Um, and when I say that's done correctly, that also um, is what we're looking for in screening programs that we recommend to people is making sure that they are following those low-dose protocols. As far as the actual test goes, it's pretty straightforward, it's, and it's kind of nice because you don't actually have to do any prep work as far as eating, you know, eating or not eating, drinking anything special. Um, sometimes you don't even have to change your clothes unless you're wear- your shirt has metal in it. Some centers mm-hmm. will ask you to change into a gown of some sort, but some will just let you wear the shirt you came, you came in with. Um, the test itself lasts less than 30 seconds. Um, you may have to hold your breath for a few seconds just so that the image doesn't get blurry because obviously when you breathe, your lungs move. But in general, that's, that's it. You would go through um, a CT scan machine. Um, and so for people who haven't gone through that before, you're kind of lying on a platform and you're moving through kind of a donut-shaped thing. And then meanwhile, you might hear kind of a whirling noise um, because the spiral part of it is that there's, there's scans being taken that kind of go around in a circle around you. But it's pretty quick. Um, there's, there's, there are low levels of radiation, um, and you should be in and out pretty, pretty quickly. So, um, Amy, can you? Uh, we're, we're sort of uh, inching towards our uh, break here. We've got uh, 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 three or four minutes, but, but can you go back to the issue um, of the uh, U.S. Preventative Services Task Force and uh, these recommendations? You said that there are some insurance companies that are paying uh, for the screening, but there are a number that are not. Now that the uh, recommendations have, you know, changed or been uh, upgraded, what's the process of more insurance companies? Uh, paying for this, or maybe you can even mention
mention what you're seeing in some of the uh, coverage options that are offered, you know, through the state exchanges? Are these the kinds of screenings that we're seeing made available through the Affordable Care Act or not? Sure. So, um, so as far as as far as there are three different you know kind of payers at play here. There are the the private insurers. There's uh, centers for Medicare, Medicaid, and then there's also the um, the Affordable Care Act um, exchanges, the Obamacare exchanges. Um, and so, what we're seeing at this point, and I should also clarify, um, so the draft recommendation for the U.S. Preventive Services came out at the end of July, and they allow um, they allowed a comment period where the public could submit comments to it, and now they're weighing those comments to issue a final recommendation, which we're, we're hoping for before the end of the year. Um, we don't expect there to be, to be significant changes as far as that recommendation. So as far as private payers, um, partners that we've worked with um, and communicated with have, have informed us that private payers generally pick up what the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force recommends. How quickly that happens, we're starting to see some movement on it, um, and unfortunately, I don't know exact um, numbers yeah. as far as that goes. Um, as far as Centers for Medicare Medicaid, um, they're, they're supposedly in the process of, of weighing their own recommendations at this point in coverage. Mm-hmm. They, too, often go with what the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force says. And finally, um, the Affordable Care Act exchanges, um, the state-level exchanges. We do know that anything that's given a USPSTF recommendation of an A or a B recommendation are automatically mm-hmm. included as essential health med- benefits. So they will be covered um, through these exchanges. One of the reasons we hope to see this before the end of the year is because Mm -hmm. then they would get put into the exchange plans um, in 2014 as opposed to being delayed. Got it. Got it. Gosh, that's great. Uh, Just great information, Uh, Amy. Great background on on, uh, all all of these pieces of screening uh, from sort of the practical pieces to to some of these coverage issues. Uh, This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about lung cancer, uh, talking about some of the new screening recommendations. Um, what do we know about screening under Obamacare? Um, we're talking with Amy Copeland, Associate Director uh, of Medical Outreach at the Lung Cancer Alliance, and Jenny White, who was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2010. Um, we are going to take a quick break here. We have a lot more to cover on the show about lung cancer. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, so don't go away. We will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 
1-800-273-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by AstraZeneca, Millennium, and Purdue Pharma. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. Today we're here with the, the Lung Cancer Alliance to hear about the resources available to people impacted by lung cancer, uh, some, some uh, changes in screening, uh, what that's going to mean under Obamacare, really covering a lot of uh, territory uh, today. Um, this topic is particularly fitting uh, since we're in the first week of Lung Cancer Awareness Month. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Um, I want to um, hear uh, some more details from our guest, Jenny, uh, who is a lung cancer survivor and director of the Lung Cancer Alliance's uh, Tennessee chapter. Jenny, you, you obviously had your own lung cancer um, experience, and now you've gotten so involved in a number of uh, awareness and advocacy activities in your state and, and at a national level. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly hearing about these awareness months and awareness weeks for different diseases, and, and uh, um, but, but in, in your opinion and your experience, why is Lung Cancer Awareness Month so important? Kim, I feel that uh, having November as Lung Cancer Awareness Month, it, it gives us the opportunity, the platform, to talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to cancer, and I just <laughs> used the quotation fingers around elephant in the room, <laughs> you know, um, because it's our opportunity to change the perception of lung cancer in our community. You know, as you mentioned, uh, the number one cause of all cancer deaths is lung cancer. Um, yeah. Cancer's not always pink. You know, more women will actually die from lung cancer than breast, cervical, and ovarian cancers combined. As I've gone about my journey and in speaking with people, these are facts and figures that, that people don't know. They think yeah. if they didn't smoke, then, you know, they put that cancer on the shelf. That's not one that's going to get them. So um, it gives us that opportunity to talk to the public in real terms and dispel, like I said, some the perception of, of smoking and lung cancer. Um, gives us a chance to, to build and unite our lung cancer community here in, in Nashville. We are so lucky to have two very strong research centers as well as multiple screening centers of excellence when it comes to the low-dose spiral CT scan. Mm. So it's our chance to come together and bring our voices together and, and have a prep 
presence. And then also, probably I think one of the most important things is that we the chance to offer support to those whose lives have been interrupted by lung cancer. You know, as I said before, tobacco is not the disease. Lung cancer is the disease. And I've, I'd say that probably no other cancer patient is assumed to have caused their cancer. Yet even myself as a non-smoker, I was asked, well, I didn't know you smoked. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to just, to, to um, you know, change the mind and bring more awareness and, and, and let's do something. What, what do you think that is the impact of that, uh, uh, of that stigma, Jenny? And I might uh, pull Amy into this as well, but, um, you know, that, that you say that you're a lung cancer survivor and folks say, I didn't, I didn't know you smoked. And, of course, your response to them is, uh, you know, I, di- I didn't smoke and I, you know, and I, and I still had, had lung cancer. But what, what's your, I'd be interested to hear what your take is on uh, the stigma around lung cancer, those who smoked, those who, you know, didn't smoke. Is there a divide between those two folks? Or really is it all about folks being lung cancer survivors and needing the, the care and the resources and the support and, and advocacy regardless of whether you were a smoker? What's what's your been your observation on that, Jenny, as a survivor? You know, as, as a non-smoker, as I've met other non-smoking lung cancer folks, you know, we, we, we know it's about a disease. We know mm-hmm. it's a disease process. Mm-hmm. Somehow or another, through the years, even people who smoked, um, the individual feels like they brought it on themselves. Yes. So they are less likely to even talk about it. I always kind of joked in a really sad way that, um, you know, breast cancer, there's a, a, you get a pink badge of honor, and lung cancer is a badge of shame. Yeah. Because people are made to feel, uh, well, what do you think? You you, you smoked. What what did you expect? Right. So. Right. You did this to yourself. Exactly. Right. Amy, and let me just ask you, Amy, what, you know, you're obviously in this quite, quite deep in this conversation about, uh, uh, about stigma. What is your observation about, uh, the, the blame, the shame, you know, that comes along with, um, you know, being diagnosed with lung cancer, having been a smoker? Is there a divide in the lung cancer community between the smokers and the non-smokers? What, what's your observation on that? Well, I think that, um, you know, like Jenny said, whether whether a person has a smoking history or not, there's this assumption about um, about people who have lung cancer. And what we find is that reactions to that stigma may include everything from social isolation and increased feelings of guilt and shame, um, yeah. sometimes delaying treatment or not remaining on treatment or not seeking treatment at all, loss of hope, stress in relationships, all of those things. But what we're also seeing um, is that is that there's, or at least what we think is also going on, is there there has not been a lot of funding um, for for lung cancer research mm-hmm. compared mm-hmm. to other cancers that kill a lot of people, um, and we really feel like there's some stigma involved in that too. I think so many people still, again, feel like, oh well, people with lung cancer brought it upon themselves. Um, I, I think that you know there's certainly you certainly hear some situations where, um, you know, for example, people who are, are diagnosed with lung cancer who don't have a smoking history feel like they want to distance themselves from the stigma a little bit. So, mm-hmm. you know, because because it's a difficult thing to go through. And I think yeah. anyone, you know, if if you could avoid it, you'd you'd want to want to avoid that stigma. But I think that also um, there are a lot of there there are a lot of kind of, you know, uh, solidarity, you know, feelings of solidarity as yeah. well, just kind of this, we're all in this together and we're all 
all affected by this, and we're all on the same team, and we want to see cures, and we want to see better treatments, and we want to see compassion for people who are diagnosed with it, regardless of of what 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 they've been exposed to. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, those are such important points, um, Jenny. You know, I know as a survivor, you're uh, now the director of the Tennessee chapter of the Lung Cancer Alliance. You've gotten involved with a host of uh, uh, awareness and advocacy activities, a shine the light on lung cancer vigil. Um, can you tell us about some of the activities that are happening there um, in Tennessee? And um, you know, what how can folks get involved? What are some of the things that are happening that they should be aware of, especially this month, the Lung Cancer Awareness Month, November? Exactly. Well, you you touched on the, the big thing. It is shine a light on lung cancer. And this year here in Nashville, if any of your listeners, we, it is November the 7th. They're actually having it at Gilda's Club of Nashville. And it's just an evening to to bring like-minded folks together. And like-minded folks, I mean people who have been diagnosed with lung cancer, those who have been a caregiver or a family member, and the folks that give care to come together and really experience the compassion and understanding. We're able to have share hope and inspiration and, and, and build a community. Um, that's really the one thing I, I sought to do after my diagnosis. I, I so wanted to have other people to be around. Yes. and. Um, to do something because, you know, I was inspired by statistics when I was recovering from uh, my surgery. Um, I went online and started looking, and I, you know, I found that, that 20% of people who are diagnosed are me, never smoked. 20% are actively smoking. 60% had stopped smoking 15, 20, 25 years ago. They did the right thing, meaning they mm-hmm. did it for their health and for, for their doctor and for their family, but they got lung cancer. Yeah. And so I was just, I was horrified by that. And I realized how, how blessed, how fortunate I was to have had my lung cancer found in stage one. Um, Cause it's really, unfortunately, very, very rare. Maybe, you know, like I said, 15% um, are found in stage one of all cancer, lung cancers. So um, it's just a, a time to, to really empower people whose lives have been impacted. You know, some people, some people just want to go on with lives. Other people, you know, regardless of their, their stage and their, their, you know, hope for survival, they want to do something. And so we hope here in Tennessee to, to have our monthly meetings to empower that. We've had some um, fundraising events that were really used more of a, as an awareness tool. Um, so we just keep hope to continue to, to grow the awareness and work within our state government um, and on the federal level to, to be active, to have a voice. Uh, you know, Jenny, we've only got a minute here until our break, but um, are you seeing perception shifting uh, in lung cancer? I mean, obviously we're seeing important changes in screening uh, and, and awareness. And do you feel like it's coming out of the shadows a little bit? You're, you're an advocate. You're doing awareness events. You're doing advocacy events. Do you think that we're seeing some attitude shifting? You know, I think we are, but I think it's on a, a small stage, meaning as I or my fellow advocates share our story with one another individual or yes. a, a group of 50, whatever the case may be, that's changing lives because you're seeing a real face with the information. And so um, 
uh, we're going to hope that it continues to 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 grow. Um, but, but yeah, I think there's some. Yeah. Really, unfortunately, as more non-smokers are diagnosed with lung cancer. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, you know that's part of the the equation. Yeah. Well. So making making some progress, but much more to do. Much. Um, Jenny White, it's very helpful to hear your perspective. Uh, Jenny is director of Lung Cancer Alliance's Tennessee chapter and a lung cancer survivor involved in a lot of awareness uh, and advocacy activities in Tennessee and at a national level. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about lung cancer awareness. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, our show today is being sponsored in part by McKesson's Giving Comfort Program, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Morphotech. Uh, we've been talking today about lung cancer awareness with our friends from the Lung Cancer Alliance. Uh, in the final segment here, as we near the end of the show, we've got so much more to cover, uh, I'd like to talk about the support and resources that are out there for all people impacted by lung cancer. Uh, I, I uh, have to mention that here at the uh, cancer support community, we've got locations uh, all over the country where people can get face-to-face support uh, during their lung cancer journey. We've got support groups, 
educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Jenny, you mentioned you're working with our uh, Gildas Club there in Nashville, which is uh, which is just terrific. Um, and even for those who are not able to make it to an in-person uh, site that we have, or you'd prefer to find your support online or over the phone, we've got online support groups at uh, Cancer Support community.org, and our toll-free helpline is there for you as well at 888-793-9355. We were also so pleased to partner with the Lung Cancer Alliance uh, and the American Lung Association to develop our uh, educational booklet, frankly speaking about cancer, uh, lung cancer, an educational booklet that is available for download uh, on our website uh, as well at Cancer Support community.org. So a lot of great awareness and educational activities happening uh, now, this month, November, which is Lung Cancer uh, uh, Awareness Month. But Amy, uh, as we get towards the end of our show, um, what are some of the other resources available from the Lung Cancer Alliance specifically for people impacted by lung cancer? Sure. So LCA provides a wide range of resources for everyone affected by lung cancer. Um, we've already covered in this um, this uh, show the support that we provide for those who are at risk as far as helping them to understand risks and helping them to find a place to be screened. For those who are living with lung cancer, they can call us to ask questions. Sometimes we get calls from, a lot of times we get calls from people who are newly diagnosed and they just don't even know where to turn next so we can send them written materials. Um, and we often include the Frankly Speaking About Lung Cancer book, which is, which is a great resource, and we were so, so happy to be able to partner with Cancer Support Community on, on getting that out to people. Um, we can help find a cancer center for treatment or to get a second opinion when people call. We can refer people for financial resources. We can connect someone... Um, with someone who's been diagnosed with lung cancer um, through our phone buddy program. Um, Jenny Jenny is a wonderful volunteer for that program as well. Um, we can help find a support group. For example, we often do refer callers to uh, local cancer support communities in their area um, and so much more. Well, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, just some great, uh, uh, great resources, Amy. And we certainly know that Cancer affects more than just the person diagnosed. Uh, what, what about caregivers and family members? What are some of the resources to help them through this journey? Absolutely. And I, I would say about half of the callers to our helpline are caregivers who mm-hmm. are often the fact finders for their loved one with lung cancer. Um, so we, we provide them with the same services and support um, that we provide to those who, are, who have, been, have been diagnosed with lung cancer, um, including sending out, sending out materials, helping them find a treatment center or support groups, including support groups for caregivers as well. Um, we also have a new peer support program for caregivers whose loved ones with lung cancer are going through end-of-life issues. Um, so it's kind of a unique program um, that we've just started using, using our volunteers who have unfortunately um, gone, through, gone through that experience with their loved ones. So, so certainly a wide range of resources for both those, those diagnosed with um, and, and those who love them. Uh, they're very, very helpful, uh, Amy, and I'll just, you know, mention that all, all of our services are available for family members, caregivers, loved ones as well at the cancer support community. Um, uh, Jenny, as a lung cancer survivor and, and obviously a great advocate in the lung cancer community, what advice do you have for someone newly diagnosed with lung cancer? What would you tell someone today who's just been diagnosed? You know, I think it's it's so important to... Read and understand and investigate. I would tell you a person that the Internet can be your best friend or your worst friend. You know, you want to um, 
You want to know and understand so you can develop questions to ask your doctor. Um, and I always say to take someone with you when you mm-hmm. go to the doctor. Um, a big thing right now is um, targeted therapy when it comes to, to chemotherapy. And um, if you are able to have surgery and have a tumor removed, having it genetically tested to see if it falls into one of the currently identified biomarkers. For example, mine was tested, and I am positive for the EGFR gene mutation. It kind of sounds like alphabet soup, but should I have a recurrence, we now know that there are chemotherapies on the market that would be targeted to that um, particular gene mutation. So it's so mm-hmm. important to ask to have that done. And at the same time, it helps that, that that tissue sample will help research progress on in coming up with um, more more therapies and identifying more biomarkers. And then, you know, don't don't pay attention to survival rates. You know, that that's probably the biggest thing. You know, mm-hmm. life is for all of us is day to day. So um, you know, again, I know how fortunate I was to have been diagnosed early. And for me, it wasn't a death sentence. It was a life sentence because it told me to get out and start living today. Um, That's great. I, I would say that. That's great advice. That's great advice and a great, uh, great attitude, uh, Jenny. I, I really, uh, you know, appreciate that. And I'm, I know that our listeners uh, also appreciate that and appreciate you sharing your story with them and sharing your, your time and passion uh, to be an advocate uh, uh, for lung cancer. Um, Amy, as we get here towards the end of our show, gosh, there's so much more uh, that I want to talk about. But uh, just quickly, Amy, uh, someone just been diagnosed, what advice would you give them and where can folks uh, go to find more information about screening and also the, the, the various support services that you provide for, for uh, uh, patients and their, and their loved ones? I, you know, just to echo everything that Jenny said, um, but but also just to make sure that people know that, you know, that that there is support for you and there is help for you and, and we can help get you there. Um, if you feel like you might be at risk for lung cancer or concerned about your risk or perhaps a loved one's risk, you can find out more at our website at riskforlungcancer.org um, to get all sorts of information on finding lung cancer specific support groups or, or LinkedIn with um, treatment centers or screening centers, you can visit our website at lungcanceralliance.org. And you can also help talk to our, our helpline staff that can connect you to phone buddies, that can connect you with all sorts of other resources at 1-800-298-2436. Uh, and uh, Amy, are there um, a kind of special activities happening around the country during Lung Cancer Awareness Month? Uh, can folks find the, uh, different activities, the vigil that... Uh, the Jenny mentioned those kinds of things on your website. Absolutely, um, and and there's if you go to shineralightonlungcancer.org, you can find where um, where there are vigils happening near you. Um, they're they're happening in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places, and it's a really great way um, to just to just feel supported and feel yeah. you know feel that sense of community um, in in yeah. you know among among others having having similar experiences. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really want to thank both of you, Amy and Jenny, for a great show today about lung cancer awareness. I just want to tell folks, if they're listening, to grab your pen. I'm going to give you a couple uh, phone numbers and websites. Lung Cancer Alliance uh, is lungcanceralliance.org, uh, and their uh, phone number is 800-298-2436. 
And uh, you can also visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org, and our, our phone line is 888-793-9355. Um, uh, we want folks to know that they are not alone, those diagnosed with lung cancer and all cancers, uh, and they can find the support and the resources and education uh, that they need to um, navigate uh, a cancer diagnosis. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.